Um, welcome. If, you're, if this is your first time, I see a few new faces. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here and elders of this church. And it's, it's been a privilege to work with this series that I've been working on for the past few weeks. Um, Donovan was actually supposed to be preaching this series, but uh, he, God, I think, had organized that we would be working with these things right now. So I'm excited to continue sharing the word with you this week. And we're going to keep working on this series called Cornerstone. And the thing that the Lord placed in my heart about this series was uh, we needed to establish that the foundation of all of our faith is always going to be Jesus Christ. It's always not, and not just in, oh yeah, yeah, we're Christians, so I guess it's about, not I guess it's about Jesus. Quite deliberately so, it is about Jesus. The gathered church of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. It seems like, um, yeah, you know, Judah, good. You're calling water wet. No, but, but this is the thing. In the church of Jesus of this time period that we're living in, we're used to becoming so programmatic or doing things that we always do. It's Sunday, so the common appeal is get to, get to church. But why? Have you ever asked the question, but why? <laughs> I have. Getting to church because church is good for you? Not good enough. You got to tell me why. Just saying it will help you? Not good enough. You got to tell me why. And we're living in a generation where some, some of those questions have not been answered clearly. And what ends up happening is we come to a club that is supposed to be about Jesus and Jesus happens to be the talking points somewhere but it's not deliberately so and that is something that we as a local church but also the wider church we need to get right we need to start coming back to what the foundations are and build from there and everything that is built is built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ so when we say Jesus is the cornerstone, we're not just saying he happens to be a foundation block. He is what everything is driven by. Everything forms, finds its form from him. So when you are saying, I follow Jesus, when you're saying, I'm seeking after Jesus, it means deliberately so. When you wake up tomorrow morning and it's time, that alarm clock goes off and it's time to get into work, Jesus is the one who drives my day. Not my job. Not the kids who, if you're like our home, from six in the morning, you'll start to see a train of kids who need like at least five things, right? And you're like, you have it in your room. Why, like, what is this? No, I just wanted snuggle time. And then I want it. It's like, we'll do that. Like, you have all of these things that start your day for you sometimes without you waking up sometimes. You know, does that resonate with anyone? You don't get to decide when your day starts. So if your foundation is not deliberately Jesus, it very quickly gets caught up with other things. Before you know it, you've got to get the coffee on, you've got to get breakfast, get the kids ready, get, get, and you're out the door. And yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But until crisis hits in my day, or I'm really stressed out about something, that, oh, I forgot, yeah, I can pray about this. 
Or sometimes you just get totally sideswept by the stress of whatever was going on in your day. And it, you get to the evening, and then you discover, oh, maybe I should ask someone for prayer. Resonate with anyone? Or just me? So these are the kinds of things that just happen without us trying. This is just normal life. So when I'm saying the church needs to be deliberately about Jesus, or your life needs to be deliberately about Jesus, I'm not talking to strangers here who are like, oh yeah, this has always been happening in our life. We know that life takes over very quickly. And we have to be very deliberate about saying, no, the Lord has an answer for this. No, I can go back to the rock of my salvation. These are not just Bible words that I'm throwing out. These are things that mean life to me. And I should use it. So last week, we covered this whole idea that it is by faith alone. You cannot achieve the grace of God. You cannot achieve this gift of salvation. It has to be by faith. And for those of us who've grown up in church, there is a certain assumption that, well, now, I, now that I'm a Christian, I should move on to better things. Romans chapter 10 tells us quite simply that it is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that leads to salvation. And it isn't just that initial work. It is the everyday work of salvation. The everyday work. I'm stressed out about my boss. I, I, I hate this job. Oh, okay. You're using your mouth for all of those things. It doesn't deny the fact that you could be going through something really rough at work. But I get to mull over. My heart is engaging with a thought pattern. I want you to see what's happening here. My heart believes something and I confess out of that. And that leads to what runs my day. Where humanity is today is because of what our mouth did. We spoke in agreement to something. We aligned ourselves with things with our words. More than anything else, people think war and you know, murder and all of these things are very dangerous things. Absolutely. But you know what's more dangerous? Thoughts that are words. All of that is what runs the world. That's what runs your life. So when you receive this free gift of grace, it is something you got to engage with every single day in those little things of life. And you have an enemy whose who's single scheme, and this, he runs this play every single time. So when scripture says, we are not unaware, brothers, of his schemes, the problem is, sitting in the church today, you, me included, we are unaware of his schemes sometimes. We let him run the same play on us and we fall for it. So whenever you have a lie that is presented, I hope you were paying attention to those songs we were singing today. You have to see the lie for what it is. But how will you see the lie if you're not engaged with the truth? Truth is a person. And that is found in Jesus. So we will unpack some of these things a little bit more. So that you on a practical level as a believer of Jesus say, this is how I live today. 
This is what it means for me without getting all religious. and Like we sang those words, right? Lord, I want you to break down the walls of my tradition, all the religion that I have learned. I want to do away with that so that I follow your way. Well, how, how do I follow that way if I'm not engaged with the one who is the way? Is that, is that making sense? So if before we, we get to the how part, we got to get really down with the who and why and what is he doing within me. Because he wants to raise us up into following after Jesus with a clear, undivided heart. But that's not going to happen overnight. So we're going to unpack some of those things. So for us to receive things by faith, it is for us to say, I cannot achieve this on my own. Point number one, I cannot do this on my own. He is not looking for me to add to salvation. Hear that again. He is not looking for me to add to salvation. He either can save me or he cannot. Which one is it? Because we live everyday life like as if we need to do some saving. God does, God helps those who? Where did that come from? It's not in the Bible. But we have this understanding that seems to massage our egos that of self-righteousness that says, well, I had something to do with me getting here. And the message of the cross is very simple. He, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2, He made you alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's verse 5 and 6. It is by grace that you have been saved. And then in verses 7 and 8, it expounds that thought. Not just grace, it is by grace through faith. And this is a work of God. It's a gift. Something that you could not achieve by yourself. And just before we think, oh, this is me just sitting here and like a couch potato. No, he says, there are works. In verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, I have works planned for you. That grace will supply every single thing that you need. You're a contributing member of this earth people, but living as a heaven person. You're not just a, oh, I don't belong to this place. And just walking around like a zombie. No, you are totally engaged with the trauma that the world is facing. You're engaged with the nitty-gritties of raising a family. You're engaged with what poverty means. You're engaged with what struggle means. You're engaged with all of those things as a heavenly person. Not someone who checks out, peace, I belong to Jesus, I'm a, I'm a, no. You're totally engaged for you, but also for the people God has placed alongside you. So, today I want to just open with this passage from Ezekiel chapter 36. And this was a promise that God gave. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart that is soft, a fleshy heart. The things that were so, so hard and stiff, things that were dead to the things of God, I have made alive again. It's beating again. This is what it means in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, I've made you alive to God. Because as a dead person, I could, do any, I could not do anything. But now, I'm a person who has been made alive to the things of God. 
So this now is a changed heart that says, suddenly is convinced, I must follow Jesus. What must I do to follow after Jesus? It's an everyday thing. How many of you have heard the word discipleship? Right? Okay. What does that mean on a simple how to follow after a singular teacher? That is what discipleship is. You do everything the teacher does. And this is how things were taught previously. There wasn't this kind of teaching. The majority of teaching was groups of say 10, 12 or less. Jesus did this himself. Where they would live 24-7, go away. And they would do life together. So they would watch him wake up, sleep, brush his teeth. Every, I'm talking about everything. So I watch how you react at home. How many of you want to watch somebody react at home? If you were in my home, there are many things about me that you wouldn't want to follow this week. And that's the truth. But the call of a disciple of Jesus is saying, how do I deliberately engage with what my master, my teacher is doing, so that I become more and more like him when I wake up? So I become more and more like him when my kid says something to me that I was like, well, not now, kid. Or, or my wife says something that hits me the wrong way and I want to react to that. These are the places of discipleship that no Bible study is going to help you with because it happens on the, on the job. And you need live training in that moment. It's because it's like you, you can sit in a Bible study like, yeah, you should react better. Like, doesn't help me now because I already blew the whole place up. Right? There's already a bomb scene over there. How do I get to that place? And this is the promise God made. He says, I will give you a new heart. A place that is within you, that has been made alive, that is now the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, He promises this. And they were not fully understanding why He was getting into such detail. Because He was Preparing them for him to leave. Just imagine this. Having Jesus sitting with you. If Jesus was in this room and he was sitting with you. And if there was anything that bothered you or anything that was inside of you. He could perceive it and talk to you. Work with you through it. Imagine that. On a life coaching level. On a personal counselor level. On an instructive level on a discernment level of knowing exactly what the issue is. Imagine that. Okay. Now Jesus is saying, I've got to go, guys. I've been with you, but it's time for me to go. And he's saying, guess what? It's to your advantage that I go. Uh, wait. Put all that on the table, and now you're saying there's something better than that. To have someone who could so clearly diagnose what I needed... Walk with me through whatever junk I was going through. And then spur me on and give me vision to move forward. Wow. He says, it's better that I go. What? I will send. My father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. Right? And I will come 
and make residence in you. And he will, that new spirit which has been made of, of flesh, he says, he will reside there. And he will start to bring the things of life, the things of God that were designed specifically for his children will start to come to light. This is the total unpacking of that verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is a gift. I cannot make the Holy Spirit, like supercharge the Holy Spirit. You know, like in, in, in American Christianity, you hear this sometimes. Ooh, I felt the Spirit. No, you, you got static electricity. That's what you got. But when peop, we have trivialized the work of the Holy Spirit to an emotional feeling or a little goosebumpy kind of a thing. Not knowing that this was the vehicle God was going to use to transform you from the inside out. I will make my residence within you and your desires will start to change. The way you operate starts to change. The way you think will start to change. Not automatic. But not something that you can say, uh, yeah, I, that was me. I, I did that. It will be a work of God's grace. So the more I yield to this work of God's grace. When you hear the word grace, you should think the word gift. You should think the word Holy Spirit. It is never just some ambiguous virtue. Okay? Can we get that out of the way? Grace is not some ambiguous kind of Christian, like, oh, grace. Oh, God, give me grace. It's not a coping mechanism. Grace is not the Christian coping mechanism. Grace is the empowerment of God to do what the follower of Christ is meant to do. Without the Holy Spirit, guess what? No following happens. A lot of self-righteous religious tradition happens, but no following happens. Following after Jesus, I'm talking about the waking up on Monday morning, the Wednesday evening, all of those times which seem to be trigger points for your flesh, That's where Holy Spirit comes alongside you and says, I have help for you. But that's why that engagement with the relationship with Holy Spirit is so key. So as we go over the next few weeks, as I unpack things that will quite deliberately seem like, hey, these are things you should be doing. These are doing things, okay? These are things that have an action to it. So I might touch on things like prayer. I might touch on things like fasting. I might touch on things like reading the Word of God. Doing things. I will talk about baptism, like we did last week, right? I will talk about praying in the Spirit. I will talk about worship. Using your mouth to sing or to pray. Preaching the Gospel. Giving. These are all things are, that have an action to it, right? And this is not even like a full list. But all of these things are works of the Holy Spirit. All of them. Anything that originates outside of that cornerstone and it's built on my ability to follow Christ well, that leads to religion. It ties you to lesser things. It ties you to practices or disciplines that serve your flesh. Like, oh, look at how hard that was. I did that. I came for a 6.30 morning prayer meeting. 
Oh, good for you. Oh, I read three chapters of Bible today. Good for you. And you've had your reward. There it is. Now, we wouldn't go out and say it like that. But secretly in our inner heart, we're commending ourselves for doing a three-hour reading. Or for praying for an hour. And none of these things were meant for your flesh to get anything out of it. But it is in the denying of yourself that you realize, I'm becoming more like my master. I'm becoming more like the one I'm following. That was the goal. So, so the fact that I might have to do something that's really hard for me. Some things I did not mention like hospitality, being, opening your home to people in the body, but also people in need. Taking care of the widows and the orphans in your midst. These are not easy things. They will cost you. But don't start with, I need to do these things. Start with, I need to engage with the Holy Spirit. When I've engaged with the work of His Spirit, and I will unpack that more so it's not vague. When we engage with what God is doing within our hearts, in that inside place, that new spirit, that new heart that I was talking about, now the work of a disciple can begin. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything about you and who you are flows out of your heart. The way I like to describe the heart of man is, it is a renewed spirit with a mind that is submitted to God. Now, God has made you alive to Christ. Now, for those who are newer in the church, you've not seen this, but it is something that I constantly go over whenever we talk about these things. You were dead. <coughs> Kaput, nothing, no life. From that place, He makes you alive in spirit, and you are completely saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says, For anyone who is in Christ is a... This is the new creation part. Right here, it's a spirit. In the middle, we have the soul, our mind, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, our will, all of the things that drive us. This guy needs to be saved. Romans chapter 12 tells us, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a process. Now, this is what in discipleship we call sanctification. Here is justification. You are right with God. There is peace with God. There is no more enmity with God. You are a child of God. You could not earn it. You cannot add to it. Nothing's happening with you being on the merit list. This is entirely a work of God. He says, now yield as a spirit who has been reborn. Bring these guys into subjection to something that started over there. So my mind is going to be transformed. It's a work of God's grace. It starts there. But I'm yielding my mind to the work of God. And lastly, Romans 8 says, those he justified, he also will glorify. 
there's coming a time where this body of death, which has been consigned to this earth that needs to be done away with, is glorified. This part of you will be saved. Is it saved yet? Mm-mm. Look at you. Look at, <laughs> look at me. Look at me. At some point, this body is not going to make it. Even if I die the healthiest man, this body ain't going to make it. It cannot because it is not made for eternal things anymore. It needs to be remade. So there is something that is coming where this body will be renewed. But until then, I tell this guy what to do. My mind has to teach this guy that he cannot just say, well, this is what I want. This is what I need. Oh, my body needs some, I need some coffee, I need some, I need some cake. I, like, there are so many things. If you re, go through church history, and you read through what, are, what is dubbed the seven deadly sins, it is not just a random list. These were things that were drawn out of what people gave their body to, which then resulted in other things. And at the start of this list, surprisingly, you will see how it affects discipleship and why church history has highlighted some of these things, even though the modern church doesn't. Gluttony is at the top of their list. Because an incessant need to make my stomach happy led to the final, which is lust. For those who... You wouldn't make the connection that me wanting to eat a lot is connected to pornography. Connection, I don't see the connection. There is a, almost like a brokenness of body that leads to giving in to the flesh constantly. It's like a gateway that doesn't allow you to make, I need to just, I, well, I just need it, I just want it, I just need it, I just want to eat, I want to eat a snack, I want to get something. That's just your gateway. To other things. To other thoughts that you give into. And then you find your body just sucked into something. And you're like, I don't know why I can't stop it. You're sucked into something because there isn't a disciplined way. Now again, in our culture, we try and do the things of discipline and hope that will cure us. But there is a fundamental change that's happened here. That says, hey, we got news for you. There's something new that's happened within us. So then a transformed mind says, I yield to the work of God. I yield to the work of God in me. So whatever the Lord is doing within me, I say yes. This is where your surrender was. Did you see that when you were singing that song? It was happening in your soul. You were saying, this is my surrender. Every place in my life, I lay it down. And as I make room for you to do whatever you want to, I will make room for you. So as I make room for the work of God in my life, I start to find my body. I teach my body to say no to ungodliness. I teach my heart to obey the precepts of God. And then it's not... I read one hour of Bible, or I did this much prayer, or I fasted for so long. 
it is no longer accolades. It is all a means to saying, I want to be more like Christ. The things that God laid a hold of me for. So now you start to see when Paul is saying in Philippians, when he says, not that I've already attained these things, but one thing I do know. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, there, there was a history I had. There was a way that I had. But forgetting what, I, what was already done, even as someone who follows Christ, I lay it down and I press on. To lay hold of all that Christ laid a hold of me for. Because I belong to Him. There's nothing about me that I own. Does that make sense? There's nothing about me that I own. Galatians 2.20 says this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in this body, that everyone gets to see, I live by faith in the one who died and gave himself up for me. Now do you see why it's a cornerstone issue? This whole idea of your body being discipled, your mind being discipled, and your spirit being discipled. All of it's happening. But there... You've been seated together with Christ. You're joined to Christ. There's nothing that can break what you have with God. The amount of Bible reading you do or not seeing things that you're not supposed to see, those things are not what get you into heaven. Does that make sense? You getting something right is not going to do that for you. Sorry, that was mine. So to remember that in all things you are laying yourself down not as a big display of martyrdom because there might come a time where you actually have to lay your life down. Right now, this very moment, there are brothers and sisters across the planet who are being killed, who are right now actually being walked to their execution because... They say, I follow Jesus. And why is it worth it to lay your life down? Because it was worth it to follow after Jesus. And that cannot be a work of the flesh. It has to be something that the Holy Spirit reveals. Which is why it's not contrived. Right now in Iran, for instance, a nation that is under such control, the church of Jesus Christ is doing such amazing things there. There are people who are right now, because these are things you don't hear in the U.S., who have, been, who have just committed their lives to Jesus like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Who are being executed today. And guess what? In that time, they have led at least four or five other people to Jesus. Within that time frame. How does that happen? There is something that happens within that suddenly the things of this earth lose their hold on you right to the point where you mean I don't get to wake up tomorrow morning? You mean I don't get to pay into my 401k anymore? You mean I don't get to leave a better inheritance for my kids? All of those things become, they couldn't take it anyway. This world has nothing on me. Do I become like this fatalistic person? No. As long as I have breath, I know it's worth following. So the question is, are you sitting here following a religious system 
or watching online following a religious system, that will get old quick. Super quick. So the question is, have I opened my heart and have I made room saying, Lord, I want to I I get religion out and I want the revelation of Jesus. When I have a revelation of Jesus, my cornerstone, suddenly everything that's built, even if it looks itty bitty high, two weeks old, is everlasting things. Which is why I know that there will be Iranian brothers and sisters, Libyan brothers and sisters, Indian brothers and sisters, who I will meet in heaven, who have a great reward, who did not even a fraction of the things that I did. With all my Christian background and all the years that I lived and I get to say I got involved with the things of God. These so-called babes, like people who rarely even got to live out half the things that they thought about, were so committed to something because Jesus was revealed. And when Jesus is revealed, it's not a fake thing. So when I'm going to the marketplace or in the job place and I'm saying, Hey, you must be born again. Oh, you're talking that weird language. No, it's because this is a work of the Holy Spirit and suddenly the words hit. And you don't know, was it because I said something fantastic? No. It's because the Holy Spirit reveals. So for everything that follows, I want to end on this. It comes back to an ability to hear. In John chapter 10, this is the passage which we call the Good Shepherd passage. Where Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow after me. If you're ever in that place where you feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm hearing God's voice. You can You can. So don't believe the lie that you cannot. Because it starts here. I have been made alive to God because I did not believe some belief system. I came to the work of the cross. And it is simple. It is not complicated. Anyone who's trying to complicate it for you, that's religion trying to get over you. It is very simple. And as the Holy Spirit unpacks things, you will find it is simple steps. Not complicated steps, simple steps. Simple does not mean cheap. It might be costly. But they're simple. He will teach you to put one foot in front of the other. And you find yourself drawn to this place of saying, I hear my master's voice. He is a good shepherd. But he's also my father. And I have a heart that beats for him. Not I want to get a heart that beats for him. See, because if I ask you a question honestly, there are many of you who will hem and haw about, "Mm, you know, I really want to be someone who follows after God, but I'm not really. And then you get into that, I'm trying to be, ooh, be careful. Because the moment you try, you got to hold it up. But if he is the one doing the work within you, he's got to hold it up. So you've got to be clear, which one do you want? Do you want to be involved with a walk, a Christian walk, where you're trying to be a better prayer, a better Bible studier, a better discerner, a better truth teller? 
the more you're trying all of those things, you find it's being built on the foundation or the cornerstone of your own flesh. Something that you died to. Something that you got to teach yourself to put away. We'll unpack Romans chapter 7 in a couple weeks. Where we get to see why you need to lay aside some of these things that you're so drawn to. That fleshy way of saying, I, I need to do something here. And you don't rely on God's grace. But the thing I want to finish on is this idea of hearing His voice. When you hear God's voice, He is calling you to something that He has given you the ability to do. It is not an ability that comes from yourself. It comes by the working of His Holy Spirit. This is not some fancy Pentecostal thing. It's not some charismatic thing. It is not an anything. It is a biblical thing. You start to discover that the giving of His Holy Spirit was to your advantage. Go back to that thing I started with, right? If Jesus was sitting here and you had all of that and He says, I got to take off because what's coming is going to be good for you. Because now we weren't stuck with Jesus on a podium or around a tree or underneath next to a well. We have Jesus with us at home when I'm waking up and my kids have ticked me off for the 15th time today. That's when Jesus comes to me in the working of His Holy Spirit and He says, Judah, this is it right here. This is the ball game right here. This decision. And this is what we got to work through. And guess what? At that very same moment, my wife, who needs to be helped downstairs, is also receiving a one-on-one session with the Holy Spirit. And so is Cassidy. And so is every single one of you. Put your name there. That would be exhausting if you had a counselor who couldn't be in all of those places at once. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. He will take all the things that I have said. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, He will take everything that is mine and disclose it to you. I want you to see this. He will take whatever is mine and open it to you. So when he was calling us to a walk with him, he wasn't saying, well, now you better shape up. Now that you've, well, now that you've said that you're following the Jesus way, get with it, buddy. He says, this will not be something that's built on your merit. It will be built on the working of my Holy Spirit. So for you to Humble yourself to that. And it comes from this idea. And this is a Jewish. All all of the nation of Israel had this. Bob taught on this for a little while last year. I would encourage you to go back and look at it. It comes from this word. Shema. Which has the idea of. Listen. But I'm listening to do. I'm listening to obey. To put it in a modern context that you would understand, for those of how many of you are parents in the room, okay, how many times have you told your kid, listen to me? Do you want them to just listen to you? No, the, the thing that's bugging you is the thing that they're not doing in the listening. The listen, just listen. 
And that is you want them to shema you. I want you to listen and do something. Whatever it is, you're like, like, listen. Because there is something that you're desiring to see happen that the listening is not translating to. So now take that concept, but in the positive, not in a negative sense, where God says, when I speak, is my word something you shema? Or is it something you take as, I am an enlightened intellectual of the 21st century, and uh, thank you, I will take that under advisement. It was in my 2024 sermon notes book, and uh, I really appreciate it. That was a great message, you know. Um, thank you. Shema that. <laughs> and that's how we get. We don't realize we're doing that. But we're like a petulant kid who is convinced that my way is way better. And yeah, you had something to say about it, but this is what I want. That's usually when the listen comes out as a parent. It's because that petulance that says, what I want matters right now. My body wants something. I desire it. I like it. It feels good. Do what makes you feel good. Uh Uh-uh. That is the kind of heart that is deceitful. That is the kind of heart that has no good in it. But you've been given a new heart. So there is a putting to death these kinds of things that is so petulant, that is so, to put it in, in, in simpler language, it's, it's, it, it's very, very cranky and very dumb. Very juvenile, very, doesn't want to learn. It just does, it's um, stubbornness. That's just like, no, no. And you don't realize how much of these things are lurking that want mastery over you, but you must master it. And God has given you the ability to. The issue is, it doesn't happen overnight. It is something you're going to have to learn every single day. And it's something you have to bring back to Him every single day. There are certain things in my life that I have not seen resurface since I was about 16, 17 years old. There are other things in my life that have not resurfaced since I was about 27. But every one of those things are things I keep my eye on. As things I need to bring back to Him and say, Lord, here it is again. Not because I'm afraid, what if that comes back and it it was something that I grew up with and that was something that was told to me and this is who I am. I'm bringing it back to the work of the cross. And that is where that is my surrender. Now you get to define that area of my life. So for those of you who are sitting with traumas of different things that have happened to you, guess what? It is real. It is part of who your experience is. But you've taken it and brought it to the work of the cross. And you're saying, now life is at work in me. Death is at work in you. But life is at work in me. 
That's how that phrase works. It's because I'm not bound to the dead things of this world. I'm bound to the live things of God. So wherever the life of God is in my tomorrows, it might not be easy. It might be some hard things I have to walk through. Especially if there are things from your past that have informed how you live in the present. You're going to have to do some hard work of saying, I'm bringing this deliberately to the cross so that it will not have mastery over me. So Shema. Shema. Listen. Listen. You have an ear that can listen. So don't believe the lie that you cannot listen. And when you listen, the Holy Spirit is there to give grace to obey. And you find it is no longer a striving work. It's not like a, oh, you know, I need to, they said this, you know, last week's message was really, it really hit hard. I need to be, you know, in God's word more. We'll get to all of those things. But you will suddenly find the release of, it was never up to me. It was never up to me being the goody two-shoes. That ace student in church who everybody looks at and be like, oof, look at that guy. The moment you see that in church, you should watch out. So in as much as we admire one another and say, I love, you know, when, when you, the way you pray or the way you hear from God. or It's wonderful to encourage one another. But never, ever think that it was because they were really great. It is a work of grace. So when we as one another, and this is what my last thing, in hearing, you will suddenly find God will give you things to share with each other. And it won't be contrived. It's something that you see working in you, and you say, yeah, this is what I've got. If you're struggling with something, I will pray for you. Because these are things that I have gone to God with. And I will show you what I have learned. Is it complete? No, I'm still learning. I'm still learning to have my mind transformed. It's a renewing process. It's not overnight. And as I'm being sanctified by the work of God, I'm also teaching this guy over here. We're not going to do that today. Nope. And you start to find certain disciplines in your life, certain habits forming that teach my body to stay in line, my mind to stay in line, so that my spirit is in line with the things of God. And it's no longer something that I'm trying to manufacture. It's something that's a work of grace. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. Lord, and we thank you that this grace is powerful to save. This grace is powerful, Lord, to draw us into the things of life. I ask, O oh Lord, that as we submit to your work, right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would baptize people in the things of God. Lord, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit among us right now. Lord, that there would be a renewing work within. Lord, for those who have sat on the fence about following after you with a whole heart, Lord, I ask for a renewal in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that this is a work of your grace by your Spirit. That you will do this. That you will accomplish this. That it will not be from our striving. 
So Lord, for every place where there has been an accusation in my brother or sister's life that has said that you have not done enough to earn or to be, to be a candidate for God's blessing or God's favor or God's help, I speak to that lie and I dethrone that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that gives life. So we speak life to these places that are dry bones right now. We speak life to these places right now and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would cause your breath to go over these things. Lord, that there would be new life. There would be great things of joy that we see, Lord, in these places where people who have sowed in tears, Lord, that they would reap with joy. Lord, the places where they have cried out seemingly to no avail, Lord, that there would be answer, O oh Lord. Lord, we thank you that this is a work of your spirit. And we speak this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Next week, we'll unpack some of the doing stuff. But this will be the, the basis on which we're discussing those things. All right? People are not used to me finishing this early. I mean, I could speak for not kidding. <laughs>